Amen. Well, how many's ready for the word today? I said, how many's ready for the word today? All right. So last Sunday, we just had such an awesome move of the spirit that I, um, you know, if you was here last week, you know what happened. So we didn't. Uh, it was kind of different. So I just decided to finish my sermon today. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning as we uh, finish uh, uh, the sermon series. It really wasn't supposed to be a sermon series, but uh, I'm going to finish it today called Discouragement. Would you shout a great big discouragement? Say discouragement. How many's ever been discouraged before? All right. Lord, add the blessing to the preaching of your word. We pray that whatever is said and whatever is done would bring you the glory and let your word go forth in power and in boldness. And everybody shouted a great big amen. Have you ever felt like you were doing all the right things and life wasn't getting any better, but sometimes it just felt like life was getting worse? How many could testify to that? Have you ever felt like that life was just a series of disappointments? Have you ever been so overwhelmed with life that you thought that nobody really understood and certainly nobody really cared? Well, this morning, if that's you, then it's okay. It's all right. Let's take the mask off and let's just be real with one another. Because every person that has ever lived has faced discouragement. At one time or another in their life, they faced a season of discouragement. I believe this morning that nobody is a stranger to discouragement. Do you know that the Bible is full of men and women who were discouraged? For instance, you remember the prophet Elijah? He was discouraged. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, I want you to see how discouraged Elisha was, and I quote, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, Is it enough? Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father. Look at this prophet. This was a man that was used mightily of God, but yet he was so discouraged that he wanted to take his own life. What about the prophet Jonah? The Bible says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, even though he was a great prophet, he was also a man that experienced a season of discouragement. The Bible says in Jonah 4, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. My friends, Jonah was really in a dark place. He just wanted to give up. How many would raise your hand today and say, Pastor, I've been there before. I've been there. I just wanted to give up. What about the prophet Jeremiah? Jeremiah was one of those prophets who felt the same way. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 18, and I quote, Hear the words of Jeremiah. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame? Do you see the anguish and the questions of Jeremiah? Why was I even born? He's like saying, my life is a mess. Why was I even born? What about David? You know, David mostly wrote Psalms. A lot of the Psalms were written by David, and over and over you will hear David's heart. 
Listen to what David says in Psalm 42 and verse number 11. David says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. You see what David is saying? Why do I feel so discouraged? Why do I feel so depressed? Have you ever asked that question? Why do I feel so discouraged? Why do I feel so down? I have a beautiful home. I have a beautiful family. I have, I have a good job. You know, things are doing good in my life, but yet I still feel down. I still feel despondent. I still feel discouraged. We all have seasons like that because your discouragement and your despondency and even depression sometimes is not contributed to things that happen externally. Sometimes it is what happens internally that determines your level of despondency. You see, even Jesus had seasons of discouragement. You remember in Mark chapter 14 and verse 34, and He said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And He told His disciples, Sit here a while. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had seasons and periods of discouragement and despondency in His life. My friends, that should make you feel better this morning. If Jesus Christ was discouraged, then that should make you encouraged this morning to knowing that your discouragement isn't a, re isn't a result of you being less spiritual. It's not a result of you doing something wrong. Sometimes we all go through seasons and cycles in life that we can't explain. Everything is going good, but on the inside of us, we feel discouraged and despondent. And that's all right. The Bible, even the prophet alluded to this. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse number 3, He is despised and rejected by men, man, men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You see, even Jesus was a man that was discouraged at times. I don't know about you, but I would be discouraged. The, the, my disciples, the people I poured my life into, they left me, they they betrayed me. They, they didn't get my teachings. They, they didn't get my heart. You know, he had seasons of discouragement. He had the seasons of despondency. But I want you to be encouraged this morning to know this, that if you feel discouraged this morning, then you are in good company. You're in great company this morning. Because even though you may feel discouraged, I want you to feel encouraged because all the prophets that I just read to you all of these great men that I just read to you, God used every one of them even though they had periods of discouragement and despondency in their life. Your discouragement and your despondency and your doubt does not intimidate God. God does not put a black mark against your name and say, I will never use you because you doubted me or because you were discouraged or because you had victory one day and now look at you. That's what the enemy does. The enemy, Diablos, comes to you and throws things at your mind. He throws things at your mind. Isn't that what the enemy did in Matthew chapter number 4 when Jesus was in the wilderness? And the enemy, he came, and what did he do? If you are the Son of God. Because that's what the enemy does. He makes you question your salvation. He makes you question your relationship with the Lord. He makes you question the experiences that you've had with the Lord. He makes you question your identity in the Lord. And the enemy kept questioning him and kept 
throwing questions at his mind, bombarding his mind. And that's sometimes how we feel. The enemy will bombard your mind over and over and over again because the mind is the battlefield. It's where the enemy does his work. But you have to be smarter than the enemy and you got to throw something back. The Bible says that Jesus began to throw the Word back. He began to quote the book of Deuteronomy and begin to throw the Word back. If you're going to make it in your spiritual life, you've got to understand a very elementary principle, and that is this. The Apostle Paul said that you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. And sometimes personalities work through person uh, principalities work through personalities i'll say that again principalities will work through personalities principalities will work through personalities some of the stuff that we deal with is our own doing sometimes we get ourselves in a mess sometimes the decisions that we make is the cause of our stress, is the cause of our discouragement, and is the cause of our despondency. Sometimes we make wrong decisions. Sometimes we make unwise decisions. And sometimes we suffer the consequences of that. But there are seasons and cycles in our life where the enemy will come against us. And that is what we call spiritual warfare. That means that you're doing everything you know to do what's right. You're going to church, you're serving, you're giving, you're, you have a prayer life, it, but it seems like there is a wall in your spiritual life. It seems like heaven is brass. It seems like things are not smoothly going like it did before, and there are seasons in your life that you may experience a spiritual attack, and you've got to discern is it me? Did I make a mistake? Am I suffering from the consequences of my own decisions? Or is this a spiritual attack from the enemy? And I promise you that if you will ask the Lord, He will reveal you, reveal to you what season and cycle that you may find yourself in. But if you're going to find yourself winning in the journey of life, if you find your, if you're going to find yourself winning in this spiritual journey, you got to realize that the problem is not your boss and the problem is not your spouse and the problem is not the church and the problem is not so and so. Sometimes principalities will work through personalities and you got to discern that. Can I hear an amen? And all of these great people that was discouraged all of these great people that suffered a season of discouragement and despondency, and some of them was extremely depressed, God still used every one of them. You see, Elisha, God used him. Throughout the book of First and Second Kings, he performed great miracles, even to the point that he would call fire down upon a wet altar, and God would consume the wet altar, and he confronted the prophets of Baal. God used him mightily. God used Jonah to preach a revival in the city of Nineveh and the whole city was converted. God used David as one of the mighty men of Israel. He became one of the greatest kings in Israel, led a time of peace and prosperity. And of course, Jesus, the Son of God, He was the Savior of the world. And because of His sacrifice, you and I are free. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. That the men and women of God in the Scriptures, they were used of God mightily, but yet they had seasons of discouragement and despondency and depression. Do you know why they had that? Because we're human. 
And that shows the humanity side of all of us. And sometimes we just got to be honest. And sometimes we just got to say, listen, this is where I'm at in my life. I'm struggling with this in my life. And it's okay to admit it. And it's okay to be honest about your struggles and your obstacles and your hindrances in your life. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want to I say this, and I want it to get in your spirit. The question is not if you're going to get discouraged. The question is how you're going to respond to it when it does occur. What are you going to do when discouragement sets in? What are you going to do when depression sets in? You may say this morning, Pastor, I feel good. I feel great in my spirit. Everything's going right. I'm not discouraged or depressed. Well, let me just remind you, you will go through a season of discouragement. There are several different groups of people this morning. There are people that's headed towards a battle this morning. There's people that's coming out of a battle this morning. And there's people that's in a battle this morning. Did you hear me this morning? There's three groups of people. You're either in a battle this morning, you're coming out of a battle this morning, or you're going into a battle. So no matter where you find yourself in life, I want you to open up your spiritual ears and listen to what I have to tell you. You may not be discouraged today, but you will face a season in your life where you will doubt God, where you will doubt the promises of God. You will doubt the Word of God. You will doubt maybe your relationship with the Lord. You will feel discouraged. And you've got to come back to this Word and be reminded of the Word of God. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it with just your ability and your intellect and your reasoning. Your life has to be founded upon the Word of God. You have to have a daily, a daily intake of the Word of God. That is why I'm encouraging you to be students of the Word of God. That's why I'm encouraging you to read the Bible. I've asked you to read the New Testament. You see, most of you have a smartphone. You can pay, take that smartphone and you can find the Bible app and you can let the Bible read to you. Listen, we should never be men and women of Facebook. We should be men and women of the book. Can I hear an amen? We should put more time in something that's profitable to our spirit and our soul than the trash that we look at every day of our life. Listen, if you have trash coming in the ear gate and you have trash coming in the eye gate, you're going to have trash coming out the mouth gate. Can I hear an amen? And you see, I can tell where you're at in your life by the way you talk. If you're talking negatively about people and you're talking negatively about this, I can tell where you're at in your life because your mouth gate will indicate what you have been putting in your eye gate and your ear gate. Can I hear an amen? The children of Israel was led out of the land of bondage. But in the land of bondage, they had six types of food. And one of the foods that they had was garlic. But when they went into the promised land, they had milk and honey. If you're still living in Egypt, your breath is going to stink with the garlic of Egypt. Somebody better help me preach. So if your words are stinking this morning, and your attitude is stinking this morning, you're still living in Egypt, Let's get the garlic out of our life and let's step into the promised land, the land that's flowing with milk and the land that's flowing with honey. Can I hear an amen? Milk and honey does not stink. There's a sweetness to milk and honey. And so when you step over into the promised land, Egypt is the land of never enough. That's a spiritual dimension of our life. Sometimes we live in the land of never enough. We don't have enough to pay the bills. We don't have enough joy. We don't have enough peace. It's the land of never enough. 
Egypt is a type of the world. The wilderness is a type of a spiritual warfare. It's the land of just enough. Because when they were in the wilderness, they had just enough manna. They had just enough water. But when they went into the promised land, they had seven types of food and they had more than enough. I don't know about you, but I want to cross over to the land of more than enough. I want to land, I want to leave the land of the wilderness and I want to cross over to what God has for me. Can somebody say amen? Is there anybody in this building that's sick of living in Egypt? You're sick of living in the wilderness and you're determined that I'm not going to live that way anymore. I want to stay over into the promise that God has for me. You've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision that I refuse to live in Egypt anymore. I refuse to have the garlic of Egypt on my breath any longer. That God has more for me. I prophesy to some of you that some of you have lost your dreams. Some of you are so discouraged. Some of you are in a deep place this morning that you don't feel like you could ever get out and you've given up on your dreams, you've given up on your calling, you don't ever see your dreams and your passions ever fulfilling. But I've come with a word to you today. Don't misunderstand what God is doing in your life. Some things in your life looks dead, but the Holy Spirit sent me to tell you it's not dead, it's only sleeping, and He's going to awake it, and it's going to be a woke up, and... Can somebody just help me preach in this building this morning? I prophesy to somebody this morning, get out of Egypt, get out of the wilderness, and let's go to the land that's more than enough. Hallelujah. The land that's more than enough. Hallelujah. You see, I'm telling you today, God has more for you. God has more for your life than what you are experiencing now. I'm not talking about houses and cars and boyfriends and girlfriends. I'm not talking about material possessions. I'm talking about God has more for you. He has more peace. He has more freedom. He has more deliverance. He has more identity for you. More security. He has more character. Can I hear an amen? God desires to do something in your life. Hallelujah. You see, when we get discouraged, you know what we do? We give up. We give up on church. We give up on each other. We give up on our jobs. We get discouraged. We just leave. We, we don't fight. It's flight. We just leave because we're discouraged. But you've got to notice that even now, we have more money than we've ever had. We, we have better health. We get things sucked up and sucked in and tucked up and we look better than we've ever looked before. We got more education. We got more toys. We got more entertainment. And yet we're still discouraged and we're still despondent. Because discouragement is not solved by doing something. Discouragement is an internal issue. It amazes me. I hear people say, I got to get out of here because I ain't happy. I got to move somewhere. Well, I know Joplin ain't the best, but it's our city and we love our city. And we love Galena. We're not going to talk bad about Galena. We love Galena because God loves Galena. And there's wonderful people that love God 
There's wonderful people that's in this city. And yesterday, we had, I don't know, about five to ten people from this church that was a part of Pastor Lewis's class, Contagious Christianity. He's teaching people to be soul winners. And they went down to Galena Days and gave out 100 Bibles to people that didn't have a Bible. They gave free cotton candy away. They prayed for people. And there are lots of people that committed that they would come or they would check our church out. Can somebody just stand and thank God that somebody has a Bible that didn't have a Bible before. Can somebody just say praise God for it? We celebrate that. We celebrate the little. You say, well, Pastor Josh, that's not nothing big. Well, you got to learn how to celebrate the bear and the lion before we celebrate the Goliath. Did you hear me? We got to learn how to celebrate the little achievements and the little victories of our life. And sometimes We have more than we've ever had, but yet we're more discouraged. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, it will be behind me. I want you to see that scripture. It says that life does not consist in the abundance of things. It doesn't consist. It doesn't make you happy. It's not going to solve the discouragement and the despondency. The process of discouragement is this. Get this. The process of discouragement is this. Flight, you want to leave. Then it affects your thinking. You have negative thinking. Then you begin to withdraw. Then you begin to blame shift. And then you have an improper comparison. You begin to compare yourself. And listen, I've been in ministry for 20 years, and this is so true. I can, I can nail people. I, I can nail you. The moment you start the moment you start isolating yourself and the moment you start withdrawing yourself and the moment you start acting different is a moment that something's wrong. It's never failed because that's, that's the human nature of the heart because our heart leaves before our feet leaves. And you see, you've got to understand that, 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 that discouragement has nothing to do with what happens externally. It, it's what happens internally. It's amazing to me that the Hebrew word for encouragement is this. The Hebrew word for encouragement is this, to put courage in, to put courage in. So when you encourage somebody, you are putting courage in them. You are putting courage in them. I have never, I have never heard anybody in my life or in my ministry ever said, I have been encouraged too much. I've never heard it. I have never heard anybody say, I have been encouraged way too much. Because life has a way of draining the courage out of you. And we are, as, 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 as representation of the gospel, we should be putting courage into people. And when you encourage somebody, you are putting courage into them. You are putting courage. One of the greatest encouragers that I know He's here this morning. I don't want to embarrass him, but he's one of the greatest encouragers, and that's Mike Forbear. I mean, if you know this man, you know he's a great encourager. I mean, it's almost every week. Every week he's sending me a text. Every week he's saying, I'm praying for you. Every week he's saying, I'm with you, Pastor. Every week he's saying, you know what? I'm with you all the way to the end. And there's been times I've been crying and praying, and he texts me right when I'm crying and praying because there's something about somebody speaking courage into you. When the enemy is zapping your strength, and when people are zapping your strength, and you feel like your mind is a million miles away, and then somebody comes, and they just start speaking into your life, you know what? 
it does? It puts strength inside of you. It gives you courage. It builds the muscles up. And you stand straight tall up. And you're ready to fight the devil with a water hose. But you know what? You can't get 10 gallons of a you can't get 10 gallons out of a one pint person. Some people can't do that because they're a one pint person. It's all about them. I need to be encouraged. I'm going through a hard time. I'm suffering. I'm going through hell. God's never called you to be a reservoir. He's called you to be a river. True maturity is this. Can I do ministry even while I'm miserable? Can I encourage even when I'm hurting? Jesus dying on the cross opens heaven up for a dying thief. He helped even when he was hurting. And can you, do you have the ability to help even when you are hurting? I remember reading a story several years ago about a woman who was extremely depressed. I read this article. Was she extremely depressed? She gave up on life. She gave up on the church. She gave up on everything. She was extremely depressed. Her husband walked out on her. Her, her, her kids were crazy. She didn't have money to pay the rent. She was at her lowest of her low. And she went to the Lord. And she said, Lord, I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to fix this problem. And the Lord said to her, the Lord said to her, what I want you to do is I want you to get up and I want you to go down to the local homeless shelter and I want you to, I want you to stay there two to three hours a day serving the poor. She said, Lord, I can't do that. How am I going to get there? The Lord says, walk. She said, well, Lord, you mean to tell me my husband left me my kids don't have anything to do with me. I can't pay my rent. I'm at the lowest. And you want me to go down to a homeless shelter and you want me to serve? And the Lord says, yes. So she went down to the homeless shelter and she served for 30 days. At the end of the 30 days, her life was transformed. Do you know why her life was transformed? Because the Lord taught her that in the lowest times of your life, you're not called to quit giving. You're not called to quit serving. You're supposed to serve even in the midst of your pain because it gets the attention off of you and get it on somebody else and it brings courage into your life. So you can, you, can, you can go to the room and you can lock yourself up and be isolated and eat your Cheetos and watch your Netflix and, and have a wound-licking fest about how bad your life is. But let me tell you something, baby. Your life will never get any better than the Netflix show that you're watching. It's not going to get better. you got to get the attention off of yourself. What is encouragement? The Hebrew word means to put courage into. To put courage into. And when you begin to encourage people, you are putting courage into somebody. And I'm asking you today, let's put courage into somebody. Let's put courage into somebody. Let's build somebody up. Now, the book of Nehemiah, I said last week, is a wonderful story. The book of Nehemiah is a wonderful story. Nehemiah is in a, in a weird place of his life. You see, the history of this, and I don't want to bore you with the history, but I want to give you the context. Do you know the people of God, you know, the people of God kind of represents us. One moment they're sinning and one moment they're repenting. 
And in the Old Testament, it's really, you know, people make the Old Testament complicated, but it's about a people, a place, and a purpose. A people was God's people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. Their forefather was Abraham. God appeared to Abraham and said, from your descendants, I'm going to have a people. And what was the purpose of that? To show the world that there's one God. And God said, I'm going to give you a piece of land, a territory. You're going to live there and you're going to be a lighthouse to the world that there's one God. Well, guess what? This group of people, they kept sinning. And what was the sin? They kept worshiping other gods. And then they would repent. And they run back to God. And then they would go back to their foreign gods. And God said, if you keep doing this, I'm going to have your neighboring country come in and they're going to put you in captivity. So the people of God, the Hebrew people, kept sinning. They would not repent. So God sent the neighboring country, the Babylonians, and they came in and guess what they did? They destroyed their city, destroyed their temple, raped their women, and took them and brought them into Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. After the end of 70 years, Persia, King Darius gave permission for these people to go back to their land. And Nehemiah and Ezra went back. So Nehemiah and Ezra goes back to their homeland. They go back to Jerusalem. And guess what they see? They see rubble. They see rubbish. They see torn down walls. They see ashes. The enemy had destroyed everything. But Nehemiah and Ezra had a heart to rebuild the walls of the city. Now, why did they have to rebuild the walls? They didn't have a police force. The walls protected the city. So the very first thing they needed to do is to rebuild the walls of the city. So Nehemiah was the administrator, but Ezra was the priest. So God used two people. He used a visionary and he used an administrator. And I said this last week, I've been in church all my life and some pastors think they're, they're both. You can be both, but you don't need to be both. God will give you the people that you need. If you're in a visionary person, the spiritual person, then God will bring to you the business side of the people. He will bring you somebody on board that it can be an administrator. And that's exactly what happened because there was a vision that God needed to be implemented and he brought a visionary and then he brought somebody that was an administrator, somebody that held the plans, the blueprints, and said the block needs to go here. And then Ezra is on the streets preaching. Come on, people, we can rebuild the walls. Come on, God, God has given us an opportunity opportunity to have our city back. He was the visionary. He was the preacher. He was the priest. But Nehemiah was the administrator. He's the one every day wearing the construction hat, telling them this is where you need to put the bricks. But Ezra was encouraging them. Come on, help me with this vision. Let's build this vision. Let's build the walls up. And listen, there's reasons why people get discouraged. And you know what happened? Halfway through, halfway through the project, people got discouraged. Ezra saying, come on, help me rebuild the walls. But halfway through the project, people got discouraged. And my friends, that's what happens to us. Halfway through the project, we get discouraged. That's when discouragement always sets in. It never sets in at the beginning because we're full of excitement. But discouragement always sets in in the middle, in the halfway. And you've got to make a decision that you've got to press through. You've got to keep going on, even in the midst of opposition. Because in the Scriptures, Samballot, Tabahu, and the Amorites, they were the enemies. And guess what they were doing? They were, they were telling these people, you better not rebuild the walls or the enemy 
or some other enemy is going to come in here and they're going to tear your walls down again. You don't have a right to be here. You don't have a right to rebuild. You don't have a right to rebuild your homes. You don't have a right to be rebuild this city. We own you. And that's what the devil does. The devil will come to you when you're trying to rebuild your life and he will tell you, you don't have a right to do that. You've already used your chances. And I'm so grateful and thankful that God is not a God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance and another chance and another chance. Some of us have already used our second chances and I'm glad He doesn't stop at the second chance. He's the God of another chance. And the enemy said, you will never rebuild the city. But you know what they did? Ezra said, come on, get your minds. Get your minds focused on rebuilding it. Tabahu, Sam Ballad, over in the corner with their arms folded. Mocking them as Nehemiah and Ezra and all of the Jews were rebuilding the walls of the city. And they're over there mocking them. You better not rebuild. We're going to tear it down. The enemy's going to come back. You don't have a right to be here. But you know what? Ezra, the preacher, kept telling the people, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Let's keep rebuilding. Let's keep rebuilding. Nehemiah said, don't listen to him. Look at the blueprints. Look, just put the brick here. Put the brick here. Brick, put, don't listen to Sam Ballard. Don't listen to him. And so they kept on working and kept on working. Halfway through the project, they're getting discouraged. But Nehemiah and Ezra said, come on, let's keep doing this. Let's keep working. And they got discouraged. Why did they get discouraged? Because they got tired. Number one, fatigue. And that, that will cause you to get discouraged. Being tired will cause you to get discouraged. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse number 10. Look what happens in the story. The Bible says, and Judah said, the strength of the labors are failing. And there's so much rubbish. In other words, these people were so tired. And why were they tired? Because every time they looked around them, they saw rubbish. What was the rubbish, folks? The rubbish was the remnants of what happened. The burnt wood. The stones that crumbled. The enemy destroyed their city and there was rubbish everywhere. So if they was going to rebuild the walls, guess what they had to do? They had to remove the rubbish and rebuild the walls. In other words, they had to remove everything the enemy did and start afresh. And they got discouraged. And I would too. To look around and see all the rubbish that they had to remove to rebuild the walls. And listen, folks. That's what the enemy will do. The enemy will cause you to get tired and frustrated because all you see is a mess. All you see is rubbish. All you see is broken dreams and frustrated people. And you look around and you say, how can God ever do something with my life? How can God ever do something here? Look at all the rubbish. But you've got to keep your mind on building the wall. These people got tired. And listen, Sometimes discouragement is just because we're tired. And sometimes we need to take a day off. Not a vacation. Vacations are awesome. But God's plan is to take a day off. God worked six days and took a day off. If you're working seven days a week, that's not God's plan. God's plan is for you to take a day off. It's to revive yourself. To be in the presence of the Lord. And so... They were tired. Number two, they were frustrated. Why were they frustrated? Well, dealing with all the rubbish. 
listen, we're so excited about building something, but we're not excited about cleaning out the rubbish. They got frustrated. Number three, not only were they frustrated, but the Bible says they were fearful. Look at it. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 1. They were full of fear. And so it happened when Samballot heard that they was rebuilding the walls. He was furious. And what did Samballot do? He began to mock them. So what causes discouragement? Being tired, being frustrated, but also living in fear will discourage you. Samballot began to mock them. He began to mock them as they began to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 8. They were still fearful. Here is the process of them rebuilding the walls and they're still wrestling with fear. And the Bible says these people, the enemy, conspired against them to attack them and to create confusion. Because that's what happens when you're in the middle of building something. The enemy always wants to discourage you by the rubbish and he wants to confuse you in the process. Lord, I'm doing the right thing, but everything's going wrong. They're confused. The enemy wanted to confuse them. Can you see how these people were wrestling with fear? And Nehemiah and Ezra is standing to the side saying, come on, folks, let's keep rebuilding this wall. Let's keep rebuilding the walls of the city. Don't listen to Sam Ballot. He's mocking us. Don't listen to the enemy. The enemy wants to create confusion. Don't listen to him. Stay focused with me. Stay focused to the building plans. Listen to my heart, Ezra is saying. Let's rebuild. God has a plan for this city. Even though the enemy wiped us out 70 years ago, God still has a plan for us. So they kept building. They kept building. The Bible says in Nehemiah 4 verse 11, and so all of our adversaries they will neither know or see anything till we come into the midst of them and kill them. This is what the adversaries were saying. Well, not only am I going to create confusion, I'm going to kill you. Now that causes fear. When your enemies over to the side here mocking you, causing confusion, and now they're saying we're going to kill you if you continue to build these walls. But what happened? The people stayed encouraged. Why did they stay encouraged? They listened to their leader. They listened to Nehemiah. They listened to Ezra. They kept working on the buildings. How do we overcome, in closing, how do we overcome discouragement? It's right here in the text. Fear causes discouragement. Fatigue causes discouragement. Frustration causes discouragement. Fear, frustration, fatigue, it causes discouragement. But can I tell you something? I want to remind you today that no matter what you're facing, even though the enemy may come against you, you can take refuge in God. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 46, verse 1, God is our refuge. God is our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, we're not going to fear. These people kept listening to Nehemiah and Ezra and they began to build. What, what was the antidote for discouragement? Well, number one, it was prayer. Because in the midst of them being discouraged, they prayed. In the midst of the enemy saying it can't be done. In the midst of Sam Ballot saying it can't be done. In the midst of them saying we're going to kill you if you continue to build these walls. They prayed. 
Nehemiah and Ezra led the people in prayer. And my friends, that is the antidote to discouragement. They prayed in the middle of their discouragement. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 4. The Bible says that Nehemiah said, Hear, O God, for we are despised, torn their approach on their own heads, give them the plunder to the land of captivity. He began to pray. Verse number 9. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9. He began to pray. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God because of them, and we set a watch against them day and night. He said, nevertheless, we're going to pray. Nevertheless, we're going to seek the Lord. Nevertheless, we're going to bathe this in prayer. I don't care what Sam Ballot says. I don't care what the enemy says. We're going to bathe this wall in prayer. And I want to just stop and say this to you, church. We have been praying on Wednesday nights for two years over this church. And I want to let you know we got to continue to pray because we're bathing this church in prayer. And anytime you do the right thing, you can never go wrong. Well, I at least thought I had five people to shake. Yes, I agree with you that prayer works. Yeah, I believe you that prayer works. Nevertheless, we prayed. We prayed. In the middle of their doubt, they prayed. In the middle of their confusion, they prayed. Prayer is what holds us together, church. I want you to think about prayer. Prayer in the Bible has done marvelous things. It's divided seas. It's rolled up flowing mountains. When people pray in Scripture, rocks begin to gush forth in fountains. Prayer was able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Prayer in Scripture muzzled the mouth of lions. It stopped the course of the sun and moon. When people prayed, it opened up iron gates and set people free. When people prayed, it released the souls from the dead. When people prayed, it conquered the, conquer, the, conquered the strongest devils. When people prayed, it commanded legions to come down from heaven. When people prayed, it would bridle the passions of mankind when people begin to pray. When they prayed, the Bible says in one spot that it brought one man up from the sea and it carried another man up into heaven because that's what prayer does. It changes things. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, men should always to pray and never lose heart. They prayed in the middle of it. Number two, they continued to do what they were doing. What is the antidote to discouragement? You got to pray. And if you don't pray, you will lose heart. Number two, you got to continue to do what you're doing. And that's what the people did. They kept doing what they're doing. They kept building the wall. Nehemiah chapter four, verse six. The Bible says they kept working at it. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together and they had a mind to work. So they continued to do what they were doing. And when you find yourself discouraged, you got to continue to do what you're called to do. It's not a season for you to quit. It's not a season for you to throw in the towel and give up. you got to keep on going on. They had a mind to work. Is there anybody in the building that has a mind to work today? I said, is there anybody in the building that has a mind to work today? Nehemiah chapter 6, verse number 3. The Bible says, so I sent messengers to them, saying... Messengers to the enemy, 
I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down from this wall. I like that church. You know what Nehemiah and Ezra said? They said, tell them you can't be discouraged. Tell them you can't come down from the wall and listen to their discouragement. They want you to come down from the wall so you can listen to their negativity. But you need to tell them you're doing a great work and you cannot come down from the wall. Do you know what the Lord is saying here? The Lord is saying you need to stay on the wall until the wall is finished. For the love of God, let's be people that finish things. We have been consistent in our inconsistency. And for the love of God, don't put on Facebook all your dreams and plans, and then five, then three months later, you're depressed and despondent and given up on the Lord. And then we're all wondering why you didn't fulfill your dreams and plans and your goals. Sometimes it's not wise to tell the world everything. Sometimes you need to be like Mary and ponder those things in your heart. And when God's time comes to flourishing, then whatever He's told you to do will come to light. You know what? I'm going to stay on this wall and I'm going to finish this wall. These people finished the wall. You know why they finished the wall? Because they persevered. They never stopped. They never gave up. They kept going on. They endured to the end. They stuck to it. They had stickability. They stuck to the wall. They had a great work. They had a mind to work. They saw the big picture. And they ignored Sanballat. They ignored the enemy. And they kept working. Is there anybody in the building that say, Pastor, i got to keep on keeping on. I can't come down from the wall. I'm not giving up. i got to keep on keeping on. you got to tell the devil this. I refuse to bawl about this anymore. I'm going to build. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm going to work. I'm not going to be frustrated. I'm going to fight. I'm not going to criticize. I'm going to conquer. I'm not going to run. I'm going to rejuvenate. I'm not going to walk out. I'm going to work it out. I refuse to give up. Stay on that wall and get the wall done. Get the wall done. Not only did they pray, but number two, they stayed at it. They continued to do it. Number three, they stayed together. And I love this. This is my favorite part. Just stay with me. It's 1145 and the Methodist is still in church. So just stay with me. They stayed together. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13. Now, this is the climax of what I really want to hammer home today. Now, look, look what happened here. He says, verse 13, don't lose me, just stay with me. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set people according to their families with swords and spears, bows. I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren. Your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. And it happened that when our enemy heard that it was known to us that God has brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of the servants worked at the construction while the other held spears and shields and bows and the whole army 
And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Look at verse 17. Look at it. Those who built on the wall, those who carried the burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked a construction and the other they held a weapon. Hold on, hold on. I'm about to shout my God. They were all at the wall. Sand ballots over here. You ain't going to get the wall done. The enemy is going to tear it down again. Who do you think you are after 70 years coming back here rebuilding this wall? But they kept working. They prayed in the middle of them working on the wall. They continued to have a mind to work. They continued to do what they were doing. And number three, they stayed together. Because the Bible says, Nehemiah said, what I want you to do, I want all of you to get your families together. And each of the families, I want you to pick a section on the wall. And all of the families, I want you to work together. So I want all the Spears family, I want you to come over here and work. I want the Pennington family work here. I want the Atwell family work here. I want the Taylor family over here. And all of the families came and they all had something to do. And the Bible says, one hand, they had construction. They had a hammer, so to speak. And the other hand, they had a weapon. So here they're on the wall with their family, and they're banging on the wall. They're building the wall. But at the other hand, they had a weapon. Do you know what the Bible is implying? That if we're going to stay together, that means two things. We got to learn how to fight together, and we got to learn how to work together. Can I hear, can I hear an amen? I said, we got to learn how to fight together. And what happens is discouragement, discouragement settles in even more deeper when we're fighting against each other. But if we're ever going to make it in this church or we're going to make it in our spiritual life or whatever, we got to learn that when we go through seasons of discouragement and seasons of despondency and seasons of where we feel like we don't know what we're doing, we got to learn to put courage into people. we got to learn to get on the wall and learn how to fight together and learn how to work together and learn how to put courage into people and learn how to pray together. I don't know about you, but is there anybody in the building that can give me your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not only going to work with you, I'm going to fight with you to the very end. I'm not in this thing for a shout. I'm in this thing for a spear. I want to fight with you. See, we, we want to we wanna hoop and holler, don't we? We want to hoop and holler. We want to hoop and holler, buck, and shout and fall on the floor and speak in tongues. But there comes a time in the church and there comes a time in the life of the church that that's good and fine, but that doesn't always get the victory. What gets the victory is us staying together and learning how to fight together. What is, how does that mean I'm going to fight? That means if you're discouraged, I'm going to speak encouragement into you. That means if you're down, I'm praying for you. That means if you're missing church, I'm calling you. That means I don't sit home and baby my own wounds, but I come to church because I know somebody here needs me. Why do we make church about ourselves? I don't like it. Well, we, we don't worship you. So when you become God, then come to me and I will worship the way you like for us to worship. 
It's not about that. It's about the mission. It's not about preferences. It's about us fighting together. It's about us working together. It's about us staying together. Amen? I said amen. Is there anybody in the building you're willing to fight? I said, is there anybody in the willing that willing to fight? Come on. I said, come on. I said, come on. Is there anybody that get out of your seat and say, Pastor, I want to get a spear this morning with you. I want to get a spear with you this morning, Pastor. Come on, is there anybody saying, Pastor, I don't want to just shout. I just don't want to come to church and get a good word. But I'm willing to get in the foxhole and get a spear and a bow and fight. Because if we don't fight together, the enemy will fight us, and he will win. The strength of an army is not found in its numbers. It's found in its unity. The strength of an army is found in its unity, not in its numbers. We have enough people here, enough people watching online, that we can shake the city of Joplin and Galena and Riverton, if all of us learn how to fight together and learn how to get in it together. Come on, somebody. I said, come on, somebody. You got to fight for your family. You got to fight for your marriage. Not just this church. You got to fight for you. Can't give up. You got to fight. I said, you got to fight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Three o'clock the other night. I couldn't sleep. I was praying. I'm telling you. And this has happened to me before, but the Spirit spoke to me at three o'clock in the morning. I'd get up in my PJs. I sleep with a fan on. Y'all can stand up because I'm going. I'm just stopping. You can sit or whatever you want to do. The Spirit spoke to me. I got up and I said it out loud. I just started saying it out loud. Three o'clock in the morning. Next day I'm telling Tiffany, I just feel the Spirit just spoke this to me. And I'm telling you, the even, and because I, I was feeling discouraged and I was praying, and the Lord gave me a rhema word. And what is a rhema word? It's a revelation word. It's a, it's a, it's a word in season. You know, it's a, it's a word that becomes mine in the season of my life that I'm in. And sometimes when you're in a season of your life, sermons are good, but sometimes you need a word for that particular season that you're involved in. Does that make sense? So how many this morning before we go home would just make a commitment that, Pastor, I'm going to fight with you, but I'm also going to fight for my home.